0: Welcome to China in Context, I'm Duncan Bartlett. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO as it's usually known, is looking to the east. At its recent meeting in Vilnius, Lithuania, the leaders of NATO member states were joined by presidents and prime ministers from four Indo-Pacific partners – Australia, Japan, New Zealand and South Korea. Their presence was an indication that NATO is very much aware of the security challenges emanating from China. In fact, NATO's strategic concept states that the alliance faces systemic competition from Beijing's ambitious and coercive policies, as it puts it. Well, today we'll be discussing the role of NATO in Asia and how it's perceived by the Chinese. I'm delighted to be joined by a renowned author and journalist, who's watched China for many seasons, and whose most recent book on international politics is entitled, Will China Dominate the 21st Century? He's Jonathan Fenby, a research associate at the SOAS China Institute. Jonathan, welcome back to China in Context.
1: Thank you, and it's good to be here.
0: Now, I know that you paid close attention to that NATO summit in Vilnius in early July. What stood out to you as significant?
1: Well, obviously, uh, the war in Ukraine dominated the proceedings there, but uh, the presence of uh, Japanese South Korean leaders at the meeting was extremely significant, I think, and underlined how NATO, or at least a large part of NATO, is now concerned about uh, drawing up a strategy to deal with what it sees as a strategic threat from China.
0: Well, indeed, as you said, the Japanese Prime Minister, Fumio Kishida, was there. The South Korean President, Yoon Suk-yul, took part as observers. But they both came up with these individual tailored partnership programs, to uh, use the cliche, uh, with NATO. Now, one of the American delegations said that the Indo-Pacific countries were particularly welcome because they've got experience in engaging with China. And therefore, these are the countries with a valuable perspective.
1: Well, certainly, the Biden administration, I think, is very anxious to get some kind of more formalized link between NATO, that's to say its alliance uh, in Europe, uh, its alliance in the West, and its allies uh, in Asia, led by Japan uh, and South Korea. Some of the European powers, are notably France, are less keen on uh, a formal link uh, of that kind. But it seems that uh, the bulk of NATO and certainly the NATO secretariat seems to uh, want to build up links with Asia, uh, seeing China as a more global strategic threat, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, not simply as a matter for Asian countries to be concerned about.
0: Well, last year, following the NATO summit in Madrid, NATO issued a statement which uh, discussed China and said it was a challenge to members' interests. But the 2023 summit in Vilnius contained many clauses which were critical of China.
1: It certainly seems to reflect, uh, it does reflect, uh, an awareness on NATO's part that uh, China is now a global player which NATO, if it aspires to a broader role uh, in the world, uh, has to cope with and deal with. This is not a purely military matter now. The presence of China uh, in Europe In its investments in Europe, its involvement in European uh, infrastructure, in European supplies of uh, goods and technology uh, are all matters which NATO realises now has to be taken quite seriously if it is to play uh, its, its role uh, just in, in, in its home continent.
0: Now, as you rightly said, Jonathan, the main focus of the Vilnius summit was the war in Ukraine. I found it interesting, actually, that the Chinese propaganda is sticking to the Russian line that it's partly NATO's fault. I was reading a piece on the website of Global Times, which, as you know, is a very nationalistic Chinese newspaper. uh, And it said NATO's eastward expansion squeezed Russia's strategic space. That was the phrase that they used. Now, nobody in the West would use that phrase. But Global Times reckons that the expansion of NATO is an example of American hegemony and Western supremacy. Can you help us to understand how the Chinese look at this?
1: Well, this goes back uh, some way um, and is certainly always present in Chinese official statements and official thinking that the West is out to encircle, uh, contain, if you like to use that old Cold War war word, um, to contain China and Uh, to expand eastwards into Russia too, that fits in to that uh, general picture. So uh, the Chinese view is that, if you like, the the landmass of China and Russia is under threat from uh, America and its allies uh, in the Pacific uh, and from NATO in Europe.
0: Well, I find it very interesting there, Jonathan, that you used the phrase, these are Cold War words, because that's exactly what comes out Of these Chinese websites, in English, it says this is the old-fashioned Cold War way of looking at things.
1: Yes, absolutely. There there is an increasing uh, Cold War uh, language there. And uh, it must be said, the Communist Party in China has always seen itself under threat, under attack from outside, from enemy. It needs enemies, uh, (laughs) to put it very crudely indeed. And of course, uh, China is very opposed to any enlargement of NATO's role uh, to take in uh, the Indo-Pacific area. Uh, The China Daily, which is a a government paper uh, in in Beijing, uh, said at the weekend that NATO would be a ghost at the feast in the Asia-Pacific and that it should keep out. This links in with uh, the way that Beijing deals with Europe in general. It doesn't want to deal with big blocks like NATO or the European Union. It wants to deal with individual countries and to try to cherry pick among them to prevent a united front. And of course, the united front vis-a-vis China <laughs> That is using, I know, a Communist Party term, but the United Front vis-a-vis China is exactly what the United States is looking for in lining up allies in Europe and Asia.
0: Oh, absolutely. I agree with you there, because one of the things that was being emphasised at the NATO meeting in Vilnius was unity. And actually, there's an overlap here with the rhetoric that came out of the G7 summit in Hiroshima in May, where Joe Biden said that the G7 had never been more united. And the implication, of course, was that they were united in recognising the strategic challenge posed by China.
1: Yes, and of course, the link uh, drawn between the war in Ukraine and Chinese threats uh, to take military action against Taiwan are very much in uh, everybody's mind. Uh, And the question is whether... The united States can, as it were, weave those two together, or whether European powers, notably France, will say, well, actually, Taiwan is uh, an, a, a different matter, and it's a faraway country, and we will decide on our policy there on our own, rather than being part of a united NATO stance.
0: Let's go back to what the Chinese perspective is. Imagine that we were in SOAS and we're talking to some students who are, who are studying China and international relations. And one of them says, well, look, I think it is true that NATO is encircling and trying to contain China or the Western alliances. Look at the way in which um, the uh, United States is sending a, a, a submarine armed with uh, nuclear weapons uh, down to uh, Busan near uh, South Korea. This is an example isn't it? Uh, Of a threat to China posed by its rivals. How how do you think we could respond to a student who took such a position?
1: We'll say, well, there is is a lot of truth in that, but that's the way great power politics work. Um, The United States wants to capitalise on its alliances and to build new alliances, the Quad, the increasing link-up with Australia um, in uh, East Asia. And uh, I would reply to the student, uh, yes, but that's the way things work. And uh, after all, it is China that was expanding uh, into the South China Sea, building bases, taking over very, very large maritime areas which are vital for shipping lanes and thus vital for European imports and exports. You can't expect countries not to try to play to their advantage. Now, China does not believe in alliances. Its only a treaty alliance, I believe, is with North Korea. This is a different kind of game. But the Biden administration has clearly seen the potential for building up a coalition, if you like, of democratically minded countries. And those happen to be countries which feel that China is a rival and a strategic threat. So the evolution of This kind of containment, encirclement uh, is, I think, entirely normal and natural uh, in great power politics of our day.
0: Let's talk about another uh, rhetorical device which is used by both NATO members and G7 countries. They say that China presents a challenge to its members' values. They talk then about this concept of autocracy versus democracies?
1: Well, I I, I don't see there uh, very much of a drive by Beijing to export autocracy on the Chinese model. I think uh, China is the to use an old phrase, the Middle Kingdom, it is different from other countries and it isn't expecting European countries, NATO members, for instance, suddenly to become autocracies on the Chinese Communist Party-led model. So we won't see that. On the other hand, the influence uh, of China through particularly trade, uh, commerce and investment is more uh, insidious, more difficult uh, to pin down, and could well undermine the kind of unity on which the West places quite an important price.
0: All right, then. So you don't see China trying to export autocracy. But let me (coughs) share with you a quote by NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg. He said, if Putin wins in Ukraine, this could send the message that authoritarian regimes can achieve their goals through brute force. And he continued by saying, this is dangerous. Beijing is watching closely and learning lessons, which may influence its future decisions. So in your view, what lessons do you think China is learning from the events in Ukraine?
1: China has drawn the lesson from Ukraine that invading an invasion of the kind that Russia undertook uh, in Ukraine and which there is speculation about China undertaking towards Taiwan is an extremely risky undertaking. And myself, I think it is pretty unlikely that Xi Jinping will launch military action against uh, Taiwan, similar to what Putin did in Ukraine.
0: I mean, the way I see it, Jonathan, there's some big decisions to make in relation to NATO's role in Asia and quite how far the alliance should go in terms of meeting the challenge from China. Now, the Japanese prime minister has said that Japan is not applying for membership, but I'm sure Japan is heading in that direction. Uh, And yet there are skeptical voices on this. Emmanuel Macron of France seems concerned that NATO's involvement in Asia could lead it to become entangled in wars, which are not of its making. What's your perspective?
1: You can understand the French uh, hesitation. And I think we're still at the stage where NATO is primarily a North Atlantic alliance set up, um, which is much concerned with the situation in Europe, particularly in Ukraine uh, and Eastern Europe vis a vis Russia. And I'm not entirely sure what role NATO sees for itself as playing in the Asia Pacific uh, region. So I think we need a lot more definition we can make any kind of judgment
0: that was the author and journalist jonathan fenby a research associate at the soas china institute in london which makes this podcast and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk but for now that's all from us here on the china in context podcast team